Our uh, scripture this morning comes from John 13, verses 1 through 17. And it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And when he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet um, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what, am I do- what I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. This is the blessed word of our Lord. That clock ticking reminds me of a phrase that I despised when I was growing up. Um, If you were ever in trouble when you were little, uh, just raise your hand first off. Um, Yeah, so I I got in trouble, hopefully not often, but uh, I would say my parents would probably say often. And one of the phrases I hated to hear when I got in trouble was, uh, was, it was a phrase that I, I still to this day do not like. If we were out somewhere at a store, at um, a restaurant, whatever, and I got in trouble, they would say the phrase, wait until we 
get home. Yeah, the, that, that phrase, you've, you've heard it, right? That phrase, wait until we get home. I'll tell you why I despised that phrase. It wasn't because that you were so worried about what was actually going to happen when you got home. You were more concerned about the anxiety that you faced that entire ride home. Doesn't matter if the trip was short or if it was a super long trip. It, it didn't matter. You would do one of two things when you, when you were in the car. You would um, plead with your parents, or if you were more like me, I just sat and was quiet, understanding the gravity of what was about to take place when I got home. And then you get home. And when you get home, um, you, um, those last few moments that you pull up the driveway, you're walking up the sidewalk, and you are walking in to what you thought was the end. Um, it wasn't that bad, okay? Uh, it, it wasn't that bad at all, um, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This feeling more painful than the whooping, and when I grew up, it wasn't a spanking. We called it a whooping. Like, so so uh, when, when I grew up, uh, what was more painful than the whooping was the anticipation of it. I was more concerned about what was going to happen and the whole ride home than I actually were the moments of the whooping, those final moments were often, even for an eight, nine, ten-year-old, very, very somber. And I want to say this, in the passage this morning, we're nearing the final point in the last week of the life of Jesus, and there is almost this tangible anticipation, not of a whooping on the way home, but this tangible anticipation of his betrayal and his death. Jesus uh, is in his last 24 hours of life on earth, and he begins what some have called his farewell address. And he is living in this moment of anticipating his, his uh, a disciple who is close to him, betraying him, and this moment of understanding what is coming to him uh, in just a little while. But I want to emphasize this morning that this isn't only what Jesus says, what we're going to discover this morning that tells us about his heart, but actually what he does that reveals his heart. And in what he's doing, revealing his heart, he's revealing the heart of God. Verse 1 says, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This term, to the end, means that he loved his disciples to the end of his life, but it also means that he loved them completely. He loved well in his final hours. He loved well and completely, and he ate together with them in the last day of his life. He had dinner with his disciples. And it's at this time that we read that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come to God and was going back to God, he knows what is about to happen and he, he, he does something that should cause us to stop and ponder. Jesus knows Judas will betray him and yet he has dinner with him. He knows it. He knows that Judas is going to betray him, and yet he still has dinner with him. Jesus has all the authority in the universe to blast Judas off the face of the earth. And if Jesus would have been anything like me, that's what I would have done. Because I would not want one who is closest to me to then betray me, but Jesus knows that though he is God in human flesh, he, he knows the glory that was, was existing before the world even was created. 
And he knows this, that Judas is a speck of dust on the desert of time and that he himself is the timeless, eternal son of God who existed before all of humanity and after his crucifixion and resurrection will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus knows this. And with that knowledge, he does the unthinkable. Here's our first truth this morning. Jesus humbled himself to clean, dirty sinners. He humbled himself to clean, dirty sinners. Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel and, 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 and that was wrapped around him. Let me set this scene for you. Jesus is having dinner with his disciples, but what I want to let you know is that the, the, the dinner that Jesus is having with his disciples is not the picture that you've always seen. At the Last Supper, you've always seen this picture of everybody sitting at a table so that the camera angle would be perfect for them, and you see this picture of them sitting beside each other. Jesus is in the middle, and everybody is sitting just like this linear picture, and that's not what's going on. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table. The table wasn't high. The table was actually very low, and they would have been leaning on their left elbow. And as they're leaning on their left elbow, their feet would have been back behind them, and they would have been able to reach the food with their right arm to grab and then eat. That is how they are laying. And what happens is when you're laying that way, your feet, after you've been walking for, for hours and days, your feet become dirty. So their feet were exposed, and Jesus does something. He gets up in the middle of supper, takes off his outer garment, finds a towel, and wraps it around his waist and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, they had to have been stunned in silence because there's one thing that Jesus should not be doing, and that is touching their feet. And here's why. These, the Jews, if you were a wealthy Jew and you came into your home, you had someone wash your feet, but it wasn't just a servant who was also a Jew. It was a Gentile sinner that would wash your feet. The lowest of low, the people that you would have nothing to do with, are the people that were relegated to wash feet. And yet Jesus, knowing he has come from God and is going to God, puts on a towel and takes rough, dirty feet into his hands and begins to wash them. Jesus does what was relegated to the lowest of lows, and the silence in that room is deafening. Until... The guy who always speaks up, the guy who always has something to say, actually said something. And we, if you've been around the Bible for long enough, you know that that is the apostle Peter. Peter, this is what he says when Jesus comes to him. He said to Simon Peter, uh, who, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will. Afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Like, I don't want you to wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter said what everybody else was thinking. Why is Jesus doing this shocking, demeaning task that is underneath him? Why is he doing that when everybody else in the room deserves to be doing that to him? Why is he the one doing this? And Peter asked that question. So Jesus informs him. He says, you're not going to understand now, but you will later. And Peter tells him he can't touch his feet. And Jesus says, listen, if you deny your feet to me, you're denying me and you're denying yourself access to me. And it's from that conversation 
that we gain remarkable, remarkable insight into both the heart and mind of Jesus. And Peter has this emotional, verbal about face because look at what he says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Peter, you are clean, but not every one of you. Jesus explains something that Peter didn't understand then, but must understand now that perhaps maybe we don't even understand today. Peter is clean. Matthew is clean. Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, Thomas, Simon, Thaddeus, and the other disciple named James, they are clean. But there is one disciple who is not clean. One disciple who isn't clean. There's only one, and his name is Judas. So what does Jesus mean when he says all of you are clean except for one? What emerges here in the most unlikely of settings is what happens when one is saved. When you come to faith in Christ, Jesus cleans you completely. Completely. He doesn't doesn't clean you partially. He doesn't only take away part of your sin, but there's some sin that you've committed that he can't touch. He cleans you completely. And you are clean, he says, but not every one of you. And how does Jesus clean us? He does it from the inside out. He does it from the inside out. He changes your heart and it then changes your mind and your actions. And I just want to hang there for a second that some of you may think you're in this room this morning and you've got to put on this nice smile and you've got to put on this this nice face and you've got to put on the right clothes and you've got to know the right things in order for God or anybody else to like you, let alone love you. You must understand something that you don't have to come to God looking nice because he already knows you're dirty. Instead, you come to God understanding how dirty you actually are, and then Jesus cleans you up. Jesus cleans you from the inside out, and he does it completely. You see, by Jesus removing his outer garments and lowering himself to the base of all servants, he's given his disciples this insight into his heart, this humble, this humble heart. And this is what he does. He's wanting them to know that if he thinks that what he's doing is humiliating now. Wait until they see him beaten and his entrails are showing. Wait until they see the bloody ooze of a, 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 a thorny crown on his head and watch water gush out of his pierced side. If he, if he is embarrassing himself and them now, they will know no embarrassment until he's hanging between two thieves, crucified naked like a common criminal. And he does all of this, all of this to clean their dirty hearts. Reminds me of a a hymn. It's actually one of my my favorite hymns um, growing up. Once I discovered it, it was written by a man named William Cooper. And William Cooper was was living in the 1700s, and he had a lifelong battle with anxiety. and, And he was a great hymn writer. And in his battles with anxiety, he would often write hymns. And in one fierce battle with anxiety at one point, he wrote a hymn that many of you or some of you likely are to know. But even in his day, it was thought to be extremely too graphic. The hymn is, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners what? Plunged beneath that flood, lose all 
all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. And then the verse, the verse that's so, so powerful. And since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supplied. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Jesus humbled himself to clean dirty sinners. He humbled himself to clean dirty sinners. Peter was a dirty sinner made clean. Judas was then a dirty sinner, period. But Jesus humbled himself to clean dirty sinners. Here's the second thing we see. Jesus humbles himself to wash dirty feet. Jesus humbles himself to wash dirty feet. Let's go back to Jesus and Peter's conversation. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He said is clean except for his feet. What does Jesus mean that you are clean except for your feet? Well, commentators uh, like to say, and I'll just let you know, commentators are, are, are people who write, their, their lifelong work is to write on sections or books or even um, passages or, or parts of Scripture. And we read those in sermon preparation. Jerry and I and anyone else who preaches, we read these commentators, and these commentaries sometimes can be like that thick, and sometimes they can be that thick, but it's a, a, a work that someone writes so that we can gain more insight into what the Word of God is saying. And most commentators say that when Jesus says, all of you are clean except for his feet, this is what he means. To clean the body is to make dirty sinners clean. To wash the feet is to make dirty saints clean. To clean the body makes dirty sinners. To clean the feet is to make dirty saints clean. When you by faith, trust Jesus that he cleans you from the inside out. It is a once and for all cleaning. You are saved, you are redeemed, you are purchased by his blood on the cross, and you lose all your guilty stains. That's what happens when Jesus cleans your body. Paul would say in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? You're in Christ. There's nothing to condemn you. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not what? All his benefits, who forgives, how much? All your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then we jump down to verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. Let me just hang there for a second. For as high, as, as much as you can see into the universe at night, that's how faithful God is. And his steadfast love toward those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Praise God that when you come to faith in Jesus, he does not remember what you have done. You don't have to sit and worry. Is God hanging this over my head? No. No, he's not. There is therefore now no condemnation. But still, what happens when you get dirty feet? Jesus says the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his dirty feet. Clean people still get dirty feet. Clean people can still get dirty feet. You, and what you must do is bring your dirty feet to Jesus all day, every day. You bring them to him. Some of you this morning, 
you have stinking feet. And some of you, 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 you laugh in that moment, and, and I do too hearing that, but what happens is your feet are stinking with gossip and greed and lying. Some of you are cheating your way through high school. And the only way that you're getting through is by cheating. And when somebody speaks truth to you when you're doing that or you're doing anything else, you get offended. Others of you have stinking feet of lust and adultery. And you're trying to cover your stinking feet with religious practices, a, a nice voice on stage, or this theologically correct position. You're trying to cover that up. And like Peter, when Jesus approaches you, you pull your feet back to say, I don't want you to touch my dirty feet. But here's the small issue there, and it's no small issue at all. If you do that, you either prove that you do not belong to Jesus or, or you're willing to experience separation from Jesus so that you can indulge in your sin. Some of you have stinky feet, and I would want to say this, that Everybody else in the room knows that you do. We all know. We all know about our own. We all know about each other's. And because of that, you need, I need somebody to speak truth so that we can then turn. And that's where we get to the last truth this morning. Like Jesus, we humble ourselves to wash dirty feet. Like Jesus, we humble ourselves to wash dirty feet. Jesus teaches John 13, 12 through 17, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so am I. If then your teacher and Lord have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, so you then go and do it. Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus affirms in that section that he is their teacher and he is their Lord. Washing their feet did not remove him from his lofty position as king of the universe. In the moment when Jesus is washing dirty, nasty feet, he is still king of the world who spoke and the universe came into existence. Jesus is still washing feet, or Jesus is washing feet knowing that he's still king of the universe. And John, who wrote this gospel, and he also wrote the Revelation, he gets a glimpse of Jesus in his exalted post-resurrection state in heaven. And this is what John saw. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and Turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This is the, this is the John that, that, this is the Jesus that John knew, but this is also the Jesus that John is now seeing. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is what John sees of Jesus, and this is his response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. The Jesus whom I was reclining with at his table is now the exalted Jesus who he was before coming to this earth, and I fall at his feet, though as dead 
But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. The first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that, are, those that are and those that are to take place after this. John is giving us a glimpse of the exalted Jesus and we must know this, that if the exalted Jesus who speaks and people fall flat to their face, if he would wash dirty feet, you and I should too. You and I should too, and I'm going to be honest with you, I need, and I mean that, I must have those people in my life. There's a, 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 a few people who speak truth into my life, and often I don't care for it, and sometimes I receive it more gladly, but we must have that, and then we also must be willing to, to do that for someone else. Why? Look at what happens when we do. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We must be a church. We must be a church that's willing to wash dirty feet. The happiest, the word blessed there literally means happy. The happiest marriages are the marriages that wash dirty feet. The happiest life groups are those life groups that are willing to come in and share and say, this is my stuff, this is who I am, and you then wash their feet and they do the same for you. The strongest friendships are the ones where dirty feet get washed. Blessed, happy are you when you do these things. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you in this room and you, like Judas, have a body that is dirty and you have never trusted in Christ to wash away all of your guilty stains? Let me just say, if that is you, you don't have to come before him saying, God, let me try to prove what I can bring you. Because he's going to say, you so couldn't prove anything that I had to prove how much I love you by dying for you on the cross. Are you that person? In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to sing that, that great hymn that I referred to just a minute ago. And there could be some of you in this room this morning, and your body is washed, but you are saints who still have dirty feet. And there is something inside of you that, that you are ready to confess. There is something that you are ready to share. There is something that you must do. And what I'm going to say is the, the, the band comes to lead us. Are you willing to have your dirty feet washed? Are you willing to do that? This place, in a moment, Jerry and I will be up here. This place is wide open. If you come in this morning with the stench of stinky feet, please come. If you come in this morning with a dirty body ready to be washed by Jesus, please come. Because there will be nothing more glorious than for a saint to walk out of this place uh, repentant, having confessed sin, or someone who is yet to be a saint walk out of this place a new one. That's our desire. If that is you, either one of them, come as we sing this song in a moment. Jesus, we come before you today thanking you that though we are dirty, nasty sinners, you, by the blood of your cross, have made us clean, and you wish to clean our feet every single day. 
So Lord, this morning, as there are people in here who, whatever that may be that is keeping them from you, may they come before you ready to have their feet or their body washed. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.